Money FM 89.3, the best of Saturday mornings. Six months ago, as we know, uh, Russia invaded Ukraine February the 24th. Uh, many in the, in the West were completely stunned by what happened. Uh, and those who have been watching this, however, um, the warning signs had quite honestly been there for years. And we had seen the buildup, especially in the months prior to that February the 4th, uh, 24th uh, invasion. Uh, let's go now. A, a brand new book is out. Uh, former international observer uh, Samir Puri uh, has has covered uh, and looked at a lot of these events over the years, other international events. Samar Puri joins us now, uh, the author of Russia's Road to War with Ukraine, Invasion Amidst the Ashes of Empires. Well, quite an intriguing title, uh, Samir. Uh, thanks for being with us today. Uh, maybe you can start off by just giving us uh, an overview of, of what this uh, road to war uh, uh, book looks like. Yeah, so uh, amazingly, uh, below the UK and Singapore, Ukraine is the country I've lived in for the longest. And this is uh, just by virtue of previous work and careers. I lived there for a year when the first war broke out, 2014-15. Everyone will remember when the Malaysian airliner was shot down This is, and Crimea was annexed. Yeah. But also, the very first thing I did in my working life was uh, act as an election observer in 2004 in Ukraine hmm. at something called the Orange Revolution. So basically, this means I've seen Ukraine over the years at progressive stages in its relationship with Russia, its relationship with its evolution. I, have, I live in Singapore. I had no you know, plan to write a book about Ukraine this year. But I think like everyone, when the invasion began in February, I mean, I was, it was pretty upsetting to watch. It's, it's obviously massively consequential if you work in business, if your energy costs are rising, if you're, you know, you're involved in food import, export business, everything else. And, and do you still have friends there, Samir? You must, right? Friends or contacts? I do. So I was part of a ceasefire monitoring mission in the first war, and all of our translators, drivers, car mechanics, they're all Ukrainian locals. Right. So you can imagine, like everyone, I'm watching this on the news, but also my Facebook stream is, is filled with friends who are, and former colleagues who are fleeing and you know, taking their belongings, taking their yeah, three-year-old, three four-year-old four children. It's a really, really quite sort of distressing thing, especially when you have uh, any kind of personal connection to what's happening, because it stops being abstract then you actually start to maybe feel some of the emotions by proxy as to what's happening. So that, that's really, and then I sort of scrambled to action. I thought, what can I do? I mean, I suppose I could go on a charity walk and raise some money. I thought, actually, what I'm going to do, because I'm a writer, is I can write a book. I'll donate the humble advance to, to Ukrainian emergency re- response charity. But the book is there to help people who don't know about Ukraine get, to, get up to speed pretty quickly around the backstory around this invasion rather than just what's happened this year. That's really the point of the book. Well, well let's get into that. I mean, I, I'm assuming you're going to say the seeds were sown a long time ago. Give the Singaporeans an overview of how we got to where we got to Putin's invasion. In terms of, uh, Neil, your, your question, clearly, you know, these situations, they, they develop, they fester over time. And then one day the storm breaks and everybody knows about it because it affects many of us, even just indirectly. Um, in a nutshell, uh, it's 30, 31 years since independence of, of Ukraine. And this is why the subtitle of my book is Amidst the Ashes of Empires. It's the collapse of USSR. You mentioned Gorbachev. That's really, really symbolic in terms of what's happened in the last week. Mm. But the, the key facts are this. Ukraine became independent in December 1991, and there was no war and bloodshed in Ukraine till 2014. So sometimes, and Singaporean listeners will, will know this really well, when empires break up, sometimes there's bloodshed right away. 
You know, my family's Indian by origin. We know full well partition. When an empire collapses, it can be awful. But actually, with Ukraine, it was like a delayed fuse. So something was lit in 1991, but it didn't really explode till that first Ukraine war that I was there in a professional capacity for in 2014. But that explosion in 2014 was small scale compared to what's happened this year. And, you know, the book goes into all the sort of many reasons to why that is. And I won't sort of go into all those details, but just to mention one very quickly. Yeah. Um, it's, it's the fact that the world is always a changing place and the world of the 1990s is not the world of today. And one of the really interesting things is that the USA is not quite as dominant as it was when I was in high school back in the 90s right. and the world you remember in the past. And you know, Russia, for, you know, I mean, rather disastrously, obviously, Putin has, has saw an opportunity in this to go and grab a little bit of what was the Russian empire. And that's kind of where we are today. But he couldn't have done that 20 years ago mm. and gotten away with it. Mm. And you can argue he's not getting away with it now. But, you know, it looks like there won't be peace in Ukraine for some time, which is, which is really tragic. Fascinating. Fascinating indeed. So, I mean, bringing it up to date a little bit, where do you see it going from here? It's just past the six-month anniversary. There does seem to be a stalemate of sorts. Russia doesn't quite have the military hardware to sustain an advance deep into Ukraine, but at the same time, Ukraine doesn't have quite enough to push Russia out of Ukraine. So we seem to have this stalemate. How do you see things? Yeah, and yeah, you know, the prediction in matters of war is a, is a fool's game because it can turn in many different directions. But really what we've got is a situation, which I think my view is born from being in Ukraine for quite a long time, is there is a currently an offensive by the Ukrainian army to retake the southern city of Kherson. So mm -hmm. those who are following it will see this has literally started in the last week. And we don't know whether the Ukrainians will succeed. They might just take back some of the ground towards the city. They might end up fighting in the city. Even if it all goes swimmingly for the Ukrainian military and they do retake it, there's still the matter of Crimea and the whole of the eastern Donbass region. Mm. And this, this is really the, sort of the core point. I can sort of summarize this in about 30, 60 seconds for, for listeners. The Donbass is a bit like the sort of nether regions of Ukraine for people in the west and in the center. It's the part that they may not have visited when they were growing up. It's the part they might not have really strong personal connections to. It's a bit like, not to trivialise it, I'm a Londoner. When you ask how many Londoners have been to the northern tip of Scotland or Northern Ireland, you get a lot of blank faces. Lots of larger countries or even medium-sized countries have got these bits which you don't have quite the same core relationship to the capital, to the elites in the south. And without trying to do Ukraine down, it is a unified country in the sense of its, its defence against Russia. The Donbass, the eastern part, has always been a bit different and my big question is, will the Ukrainian military, they're going to have to really dig deep to retake just the south. Can they dig even deeper to start to retake the east? And do they want to because it's been wrecked by the Russians? Someone's going to have to foot the bill to reconstruct it. My very unfortunate prognosis, and I'll round off my answer here, is um, some kind of de facto partition, because that's logically what will happen. Unless the Ukrainians can retake every inch of their, their country, as it was in 1991, the Russians will still be in a 10%, 20% of it. And then you have a situation that might be a bit like Cyprus, for those who know about Cyprus, like divided, but people kind of forget about it, just kind of fades into the past. We're not there yet, but I think that might be something we face in about a year from now. Uh, speaking with Samir Puri, author of Russia's Road to War with Ukraine, Invasion Amidst the Ashes of Empires. There is a very strong uh, nationalistic movement 
in uh, in Russia, as we know, uh, that has led to, in some part, led to the military action, uh, the invasion by Russia. Uh, are they going to let it go at partition uh, if, in fact, it comes to that? Uh, it seems like they really are, you know, bent on and, and taking it all back uh, from, from what I've been able to read and see uh, and understand from, from my reading on the topic. There is a very, very strong back-to-empire movement uh, in Russia now. That's right, Glenn. And I think it, this is quite an obscure thing for most people who don't follow this. And, and then that man, Alexander Dugin, right. uh, came into the press about two weeks ago. So I and, quote him and quite his, a bit. And his daughter, who was uh, assassinated right. or killed in a car bombing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Right. And, and the rumors being he might have been the target. Who knows by what? That's not really the important point for this discussion. It's his ideas. That's mm. what you're sort of referencing. And I, I go through some of Dugan, actually, his ideas in my book, because I've been reading some of his English translated work for a while. You know, people like that are quite hardcore in their sense of what Russia's place ought to be as an imperial power. And you're right, they're not going to suddenly you know, have a, a light bulb moment and go, hang on, we're wrong about this. The world's moved on. Let's sort of stay within our borders. The real question is whether they can take Kiev, take other parts of Ukraine. And that's where Western support for Ukraine has actually been very effective, military support in helping to balance the situation. So I don't think they'll give up the idea, but I think reality will have to, uh, you know, dawn. And I think Putin will have to settle for a limited gain. And you remember when he started the invasion in, in 24th February, he talked about this Donbass region in the east where going into in his words, not my view, yeah. save the Russian speakers yeah. there. To liberate them, right? Or whatever that right. word is. Yeah. He may have to. They've taken 75% of the Donbass. There's a 25% that they're struggling. They're kind of failing at the, falling at the last hurdle to do this. If he does take the whole of the Donbass, that gives him a bit of a way out, at least mm. in terms of a speech, to say, I've kind of done what I said I was going to do. Yeah. Mm. So, I mean, I'd love to get your perspective on something that, that really fascinates but concerns me. Several months ago, Glenn and I attended a talk with the Ukrainian ambassador, and I vividly remember a guy getting up and defending his Russian wife, saying, not every wow. Russian thinks this way, you know, we're, we're being persecuted, and I have to say, I didn't have that much sympathy at the time, and then when I see documentaries and footage now, and I've mentioned this to Ukrainian ambassador, Russians holidaying talking about where they're going to spend their vacation while this invasion is going on. Not only have they moved on, it doesn't even seem to concern them. As someone who lived yeah. in the Ukraine and knows that psyche a little bit better, could you give us a bit of a picture on what the average Russian mindset is right now with regards to this invasion? Or, or is there an average mindset? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It's a broad, it's a, I know it's a massive country. You mentioned it yourself. Yeah. But to try and give, get us in that headspace... Yeah, so you know, just before I deployed to Ukraine, my deployment was actually delayed by MH17 because for reasons I won't go into, I had a spare summer, 2014. I took the Trans-Siberian Railway. I don't know if any, any listeners or either of you guys have ever taken It's a great trip to do. Mm. I started in St. Petersburg through Moscow all the way through the, sort of the Siberian expanse. And then I took the, the, the route down through Mongolia to China so I didn't get to Vladivostok. And I've, obviously I'm not Russian, so you know I can't give you an authentic sense of how it feels uh, to be Russian thinking about this. But I can tell you, like many countries, unless you've been there, you just don't have a clue. Yeah. And it's so vast. And a couple of things I noticed, one of which is an inordinate number of men, especially in random places like Irkutsk, which is kind of near Lake Baikal, right in the middle of it, wearing sort of hunting and military gear. Now, they were not, they're going neither hunting nor serving in the military. 
but there's sort of a masculinity in some parts of Russian culture, which I think Putin's played on to get his popularity. Some of you know people have seen the biker gangs and others that you know subscribe to him and all the rest of it. So there's a segment of the population that will really actually like this. Mm. Uh, there's another segment, which is probably the dominant part. They're raised on stories of Russia's war in World War II, their great patriotic war, digging hard, so all the sanctions that they're suffering. They have these own, their own historical stories about how to endure this. And, and also the feeling that they've always been criticized through history as, as being on the wrong side of history. And that's just what these sort of sanctimonious Westerners do. Not my views, by the way, but just to clarify, just one of, part of my, my previous book, The Great Imperial Hangover, was about how to understand the world, you've got to get into the mindsets of other cultures and other people, Absolutely. even if you don't agree with it. Because obviously that's the thing now, you could be really morally outraged about what's happening in Ukraine, but it's still happening. Mm. You, the Russians have got a certain amount of buy-in from their population to do this. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download our audio app. That's A-W-E-D-I-O. Available on Google Play or the App Store.